As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of these here sidebars, where the best conversations happen on the side. Let's go. Podcast is brought to you by Mogul Squared Media. We create the content, you create the lifestyle. Is my mom here? It's just us. You and us. Who are you in the park with? I don't know names. I just got lost. Where did you see the lady? One one lady. The female jogger was severely beaten and raped. Every black male who was in the park last night is a suspect. I need all of them. What's going on with my son? Your son was involved in rape in Central Park. No, 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 Wait a second, wait a second. They saw you rape the lady. I didn't see a lady or hit anyone. I didn't see any lady. Kevin. I didn't see any lady. I want to see my son right now, right now. Whatever they said, I did. Nothing these boys state matches the central facts of the crime. All we need is for one to tie this whole thing together. These tapes are not as clean as the state would have you believe. There is injustice happening here. There is not one shred of evidence. Imagine the frenzy of these teenagers. Ripping off her car. Innocent of these crimes. They are guilty. doing us like this. What other way they ever do us? And I haven't looked back. I've been having these dreams. Since I'm not I keep hearing these footsteps. And they come in closer and closer. That's me. Coming to bring you home. They said if I went along with it, that I could go home. And that's all I wanted. 
Washington police will do anything. Lie on us, they will lock us up, they will kill us. This is my life. I don't think we should admit to something that we didn't do. Okay, we keep fighting. Imagine being 14, 15, 16 years old, curious about life. Um, It's a hot summer day. You out for various reasons, whether you're just getting out of school or you're headed, you know, to play basketball or you just been to go to a party with your homeboys because usually this particular setting doesn't always happen. So this time you're like, you know what, I'm going to check it out. You know what I mean? And you try to find everybody that, you know, would be interested in going and y'all go. But y'all cut through, you know, a certain area to get to your destination. And in the midst of all of that, you wake up and you locked up or you get interrogated or you get next to a bunch of questions with no type of adult supervision around. You have no idea what nobody is talking about. But because you are who you are, you look like you look like you do, you automatically are accused of doing something that either you've never done before, have no knowledge of or just anything along those lines. Um, This is episode 77. Um, Usually I start with, you know, happy introduction and all of that. But this type of episode I'm bringing to you today uh, with this particular show is something I'm, I'm. I'm I'm just going to speak from the heart Okay I'm going to try to keep this very Understandable Informative uh, But yet something that everybody Should get something from That's the hope with this show Um, I think I say this is episode 77 This is actually episode 76 I've been away for a minute Um, I guess you can say I experience A lap in creativity um, I haven't recorded since the week of my birthday. It's been a couple weeks now. But after that moment or after that time, I just hit a brick wall. And you would think turning, you know, a new age, opening up a new chapter would ensue you to be, you know, happy and prepared. And all right, let's go. This is going to be it. This is my year. You know, you how, you know, you hit January 1st in a brand new year. New New Year, you knew me, and people get at people for that because it's cliche. But you inadvertently do the same thing when you turn a new age, and that's what I did. But instead of going through the new chapter happy, ready to go, it's like this storm just came over me, and a string of bad things occurred, and you just like, yo, what? what's going on right now and you start losing sleep skipping meals you know putting on the facade sort of like what robin williams did before he passed you know robin williams was known as a guy who was always happy he was always you know somebody you could look at 
for a sense of, you know, laughter or enjoyment and just look at them and say, you know what, that person got a lot of good energy about them. Some of the greatest people we know who made us laugh deep down had a lot going on, but you would never see it because they would never let you show that side of themselves to you to where you could analyze whatever it is that that person is experiencing. And that's what I went through. Like, I had fun on my birthday. You know, it wasn't really, didn't really turn out how I really thought it was going to, but I had fun. Never would have imagined that next week, soon as the holidays are over, soon as you wake up, boom, issue, boom, another issue, boom, another issue. And, like, like I crashed, man. Like, it was one of those type of scenarios where you, like, excuse my language, but what the fuck is going on? It's literally what you wake up saying every day. What the fuck is going on? And that feeds over into your create creative spot. Everybody has this thing that they love doing. Everybody has their niche, whether that be you game or you cook or you pod, you know, make a podcast or uh, whatever it is you may do. But everybody has their niche as to what it is that they do and how they go about it. And I literally lost my passion. And... I was hurt, man. And this is like my first time really going into detail about it. And I really don't want it to come off just straight negative. That's not the intention of this conversation. I'm just, I'm talking to y'all, the listeners, you know, whoever decides to hear this show. But when you lose your passion for something you truly wholeheartedly doing, that's when you need to really see what's going on. Where is this trouble coming from? And you take a step back and you reanalyze yourself and you look in the mirror and you say, you know what? Enough is enough. And that's what I had to go through. And, you know, 31 is so much life to live. I know I'm probably still a baby in some in the eyes to most. But as cliche as it sounds, I wasn't supposed to make it to 31. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm from this, the most segregated city in the war, in, in the United States. I even say the world, excuse me, but the United States. One of the most segregated places ever. That's where I'm from. Proud of it, too. I'll never be ashamed of not be, to be from Milwaukee. Never be ashamed of that. Because at the end of the day, it made me who I am. And you get back to yourself. You get back. You get you get back to you. You play your favorite song. You get up and you 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 find something to clean. To, you know to you know reduce the clutter. Cause you know reducing clutter is an example of stability. And if your area is not cluttered physically, then that allows you to kind of separate what thoughts go in what place and how you gonna go about this and how you gonna go about that. Blase blase. That's pretty much what I did. And, you know, you have conversations at work and you show a side of transparency that, you know, a lot of other person to say, you know what, you know, if something is wrong, talk to me about it. You know, I care about you. Such a key phrase, such a key phrase, because those words could carry so much meaning in the eyes of somebody who's really going through some trauma. And it may not even be a way for them to say, you know what, I'm here's my issue. Here's what I'm going through. But to just know that somebody truly cares means the world. 
to that person. So if you got somebody around you that you feel like has been going through something and you really don't know what to say or how to help them solve it, just let them know you care and you present. I'm telling you, they may not show it or say it at that moment, but deep down, they really appreciate you doing that and saying that for them. So I'm back, man. I'm back. And nothing is really 100%, but I will not let the issue that took place hold me down. So much good happening. Things are starting to take a look for the better. There's one more thing to conquer, and that's myself. And I'll get into what I mean by that later, but I just got to conquer myself. Once I conquer myself and get that in control and get that where I need it to be, I'm going to be unstoppable. And I want that to translate over into this show into the recording, into being a podcaster, into being a creative, into being all of that. The display of work that I want to put into this and the energy and the the love and the passion I have for this, I hope it translate over into what you hear for you to say, you know, well, you know, I like what Rio got going on because that gives me motivation to keep going. Just to know that people care. People actually want to hear what I have to say. People look forward to what I have to say. Look forward to this show. All that all that is all that means a lot. And so I thank you. Thank you for rolling with me. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded. Well, since I recorded the last show. If you haven't heard the last episode with uh, Miss Dion Collier, uh, please check that out. Very informative. Uh, she's in real estate, could really, you know, break down a lot of the key factors and what it means to be a homeowner. So if you want to get some pointers, check out the last show. Very good show. Um, naturally, this episode is all about the Central Park Five and when they see us. Um, if you haven't, if you heard the clip at the beginning, that's actually the trailer uh, from the series that came out on May 31st. And I wanted to take a moment and I want to really deep dive and break down what that's all about. So that's what this show is going to be about today. Um, we're going to you know, share some facts and uh, break down what it is that I've seen, because I think that particular mini series, it was a mini four part series, but it carries so much emotion. It reopened scabs. It made me do research. It made me rewatch to see if I didn't catch something that I, you know, watched the first or second time and go find the actual story from what it is that I came across. Um, it was, it was everything. It was everything. It was a lot of emotion. Like I cry, yo, I'm not even ashamed to say it. Like it, it brought me to tears and I have to give major credit to Ava DeVernay. I hope I said her last name right. Um, she really, really, really did her thing with this. And I think it was necessary because a lot of people didn't know, didn't know about what it is that this, this whole Central Park Five thing was about. And I'm just going to say that's okay. Like you shouldn't crucify one for not knowing 100% of what took place with our history prior to them. The ignorance part in not wanting to learn and refusing to research the stuff that's right there, if they are curious about it, you can analyze that. But you shouldn't crucify a person for just now knowing about it. I mean, this happened in 1989. I was, I'm 88. You know what I mean? So a lot of us, 30, 31, 32, 
knew her, but maybe didn't know the full spectrum of what it is that took place. So even a younger generation, you know, those who, you know, mid 90s and early 2000s, stuff like that. It's not a problem to be misinformed as long as you're willing to inform yourself of what it is that took place. That's okay. To create conflict around knowledge and one's ability to accept it at whatever point in their life. And people are having discussions and, 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 and feeling a way about somebody not knowing. I mean, I don't like that song, Cardi B and uh, Offset, but... Cats do a lot of for clout, man. Cats do a whole lot for clout sometimes. And that's one thing. That's it'll make no sense. It makes zero sense to me. But all in all, I want to do a full breakdown of the show. Before we get into those details, I have to talk about um, the summer kickoff. It's coming up June 21st through the 24th. Shout out Chuck, a.k.a. Charles Smith. Shout out Kay Rice, a.k.a. Keaton Gerard. Um, Daryl, shout out him. Like the whole team um, is going down. If you haven't heard about it, it's coming the 21st to the 24th. It's, it's, it's nothing like what, what y'all seen. All these different cities coming together Milwaukee, Houston, Indianapolis. It's like six or seven people, cities just coming all together to come down and kick it in Houston for the weekend through a host of events. We're talking mansion pool parties. We're talking. Um, go-karts we're doing a live show with a dj at uh, k1 speedway we got h2o uh, h2o hookah lounge on deck um it's a variety of things going on if you ain't in the building you definitely gonna be missing out milwaukee finna show up and show out we finna show you how we get down all the homies coming down for it shout out the entire family too many of y'all to name y'all know who y'all are i'm excited to kick it with y'all i'm excited to see y'all and let's have fun, man. If y'all have want any more details about it, uh, hit me up. I'll get you in contact with Charles or anybody, you know, Instagram, the summer kickoff. That's T-H-E-E summer K-I-K-O-F-F, the summer kickoff. You can find them on Instagram. Make sure you check out the information on the event and just get familiar, man. Um, it's it's going to be fun. Also, shout out Incomparable. Shout out my boy Chino, a.k.a. Chino Chino, y'all. Uh, my man, you know, he's been pedaling, pushing, moving these watches and all this type of apparel and his positivity and his greatness he's doing. If you haven't got your incomparable piece yet, you're definitely missing out. I got two of them. I'm giving one of my pops for Father's Day. Um, dope watches, male and female watches. Uh, excuse me, men and women watches. Let me correct myself. Um, but yeah, it's available. Check them out. And be incomparable on Instagram. Mario McCoy is the owner, black owned business owner. Um, been doing all type of events, getting the name out there. Support is appreciated. Definitely check them out. So, got all the announcements and all that out the way. Let's talk about when they see us. Now, I wanted to really, I wanted to do a, a episode by episode breakdown because each episode had a different piece as to what it is that it was covering. So, I took a lot of notes. Um, if, if for those who have seen it, if you you want to you want to you know listen to the show, maybe build some dialogue around it. We got the group, the Instagram, Facebook, or whatever you want to do. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down, or you can just hit me up directly. We can chop it up that way too. I sat back and I watched each episode in grave detail. Episode one, uh, pretty much just break broke down the whole entire just how it all took place. It's happened. 
April 19th, 1989. Now, I was born May 25th, 1988. So I was a year old. Um, my sister was born in September. So this happened, you know, the same year, you know, before she was born. But it happened in 1989. Basically, it was this big party going on. And it kind of went through each how each character from the Central Park Five became involved. Open up with Antron. Antron sitting at the table with his dad, uh, who was played by uh, Michael Williams, who's also y'all. If y'all know who he is, he was in, you know, The Wire. It's probably his most famous role, The Wire. He did his thing in The Wire, but yeah, that's a whole different story right there, because uh, The Wire is one of the greatest shows ever. But that's just me. Um, started with Antron. They talking about baseball. They kind of breaking down each piece. And just going through each the day-to-day lives and stuff like that. And it was uh, five teams. Uh, black, four black uh, teams. And it was one Hispanic team. Um, Yusuf Salam. Uh, you had Raymond. Uh, I got to get last names. I'll get last names in a minute. But you had Yusuf, Raymond, Kevin, Corey, and Antron. Um, Yusuf and Corey were best friends. Corey really didn't stay in school like that. Um, you know, there was times where he missed and stuff like that. We'll get into why later on. But I like how it showed where everybody was at. Because that was one of the first questions I had about, you know, this whole thing. And when I was watching the movies, like, how did this come about? So the story is told from the accounts of each team, now grown men, um, about how they all ended up in the park. Yusuf found Kevin. I mean, excuse me, Corey. Corey was with his girlfriend at the time eating chicken. Um, Corey met up with Yusuf. They went to the park. Antron saw the crowd and everybody just wasn't tight. It was a major crowd of just everybody just going. You know how you just mob somewhere, just you and all the homies and everybody going to one direction. Nobody got cars at the time or bikes. So everybody walking, everybody on foot. This New York. You know, everybody's doing their thing. They're young, no no harm, no foul, you know. They went to the park. Yes, it was dark, um, but they was all going to a, a particular party. And the party was going to be nice. All the homies was going. Um, so each one of them saw the crowd and for different reasons decided to join the crowd. Um, looking at my notes here. So they get to the park. Um moving around and I'm trying to count this as I'm, I'm picturing in my head as I go um, so excuse me but they moving around and they just trying to just get to their destination and actually you know sirens go off and naturally when your sirens go off your first instinct is to run now they ain't do nothing wrong it's just a, a, a big group of melanated individuals in a public place where you know really is a jogging and bike ride and for wherever you know there's white folks there let's keep it real white folks there black folks there whatever the case may be but apparently this this big crowd was just destroying everything and just terrorizing the neighborhood and they was just quote-unquote a wild pack of animals where you know that was used a lot in this movie and cops come so everybody's running different directions and stuff like that each one of them get caught somehow some way kevin Richardson actually got hit in the eye by a police officer and Antron saw it. So in the beginning of the movie, you notice is Kevin, his eye is swollen and his eye is swollen from the hit. So that was later used for him saying that that's 
you know, him, he was fighting, he was fighting the lady off, and lady hit him and all that, that's how he got the black eye, that was later on used in the movie, but we'll get to that in a minute, um, so it just, episode one just basically just painted just the entire story of how they got arrested, and how they ended up at the police station, now when they get to the police station, a lot of them are young, you know, and everybody's like, you know, why are we here, and, you know, later on discovered that it was a woman killed and raped in the park. Um, so during the time they were all held up, uh, they in this room and everybody's just sitting there waiting to be either, you know, picked up by their parents, uh, released on bail, whatever the case may be. And during that time, that's when they discovered it was a rape going on or the lady was found dead from a rape in the same park that the boys was in, too. So it wasn't, you know, she just was left there for dead. Um, her name was actually Patricia Miley. That was her name, Patricia Miley. And, you know, she was apparently jogging in the park and, you know, got killed in the process and raped in the process. Um, so everybody's getting picked up for various reasons and this, that, and the third. And, you know, rape is discovered. So now this prosecutor whose name is Linda Fairstein. Keep that name in mind, too. Linda Fairstein. She's trying to, you know, develop this case about whatever it is that took place. And um, she's trying to figure out a way to develop a case. And, you know, you got a bunch of teens who are in the same spot. So they doing everything they can to bring this story together. They have no real evidence about what it is that occurred. They just have a bunch of teens who were in the park and a dead white woman. And naturally, you got people in the middle who's trying to either, quote unquote, get justice. And we need to figure out what happened and how all of this come about. And they just trying to just put the pieces together. Now, the crazy part about this is that they never really had any concrete evidence from what took place. You hear a lot of the mentions about how the facts of this case were like abnormal, where, you know, the DNA didn't match up and, you know, just there was just no real strong evidence. All he had was times it occurred and they were trying to figure out, you know, what time the kids were in the park and trying to line those days up and how did she end up from this angle to that angle. All of this shit was just barely just put together and they were trying to make sense of it all. So somehow, some way, the focus on these five teams came about. They were all eventually interrogated. So the thing about this particular part of the story, though, is with Corey Wise. And it's hard to talk about Corey Wise without like. I mean, to keep it a book, your eyes kind of watering up because you don't want to like chronologically put their pain in order. But if you had to think about which one of them went through the hardest time in all of this, it was definitely Corey Wise. Definitely Corey. And if you watch the four part series, you see why and what I'm talking about. And I have to give credit to the character that played. I mean, excuse me, the actor that played. Corey Wise, I think his name is uh, Jarrell. I'll look it up in a minute, but he did his thing. 
he played him down to a T. And when you actually go look and see who Corey Wise was and see how he looked and all of that, like, you will see what I mean. Like, he had his mannerisms down. He had everything about his, his whole entire character down to a T. And it was crazy how well they casted these roles because, to me, remakes of any type of story and remakes of like important times in history casting the correct characters is very key in displaying the story because if the character is crafted correctly and is casted correctly then it makes a story that you watching just that better just that much better and i don't know how you know where that ranks on when it comes to cinematography as far as like how movies are made because to me that's one of the most important things like imagine somebody other than robert downey jr being iron man it just wouldn't look right you know what i'm saying or somebody else playing thor or captain not even just marvel but just uh, uh, the characters who fit the roles perfectly like when jamie fox played ray charles casted perfectly perfectly you know what i'm saying uh denzel washington and training day cast it perfectly there's plenty of other movies you can name out there that was casted perfectly but that matters if you have the correct character for your movie and it's told correctly it's going to be a great film that just goes into making the film what it is and we could dissect what it what else that would include but that's to me that's just some of the things that factor into making the story exactly what it needs to be so yeah that was that so i just want to shout him out directly but each one of these young black men played these roles down to a t but the story of Corey wise was probably one of the hardest ones to watch Corey again i mentioned earlier he was best friends with yusuf the only reason he even went to the police station after they were trying to find some some suspects for the case was because he didn't want Yusuf to get in trouble and be, you know, left alone. And he, you know, quote unquote, did something with the police. He didn't want him to be by himself. So he just went with him to have his back and fell asleep at the police station while he was waiting for Yusuf to get released or whatever the case may be. The only reason why they got separated was because Yusuf's mom came and picked him up. She was one of the few parents that was able to make it to the police station to actually pick up their son. So he fell asleep and they were quote unquote trying to make the story stick. They just needed one to make the story stick. You heard that uh, phrase in the clip earlier in the show. And they just had to make it stick. And when nobody else really helping them out with their particular approach to trying to get this case solved, but Corey, Corey's sitting on the bench and he's asleep. So they grab him, smack him up a few times, basically scaring the shit out of him and coerced a, a, a fabrication of stories on the, the crazy part about one of the things in the beginning of the episode was the way that they were interrogating. They was legit interrogating these boys like they just they just was just the worst criminal ever. Smacking them up, throwing them around and just all kind of crazy stuff. It made zero sense. And during one of those times, they even went as low 
is trying to make Antron's dad um, go with the lie. To the point where his dad knew it was a lie, but you got to do whatever you got to do to get home. So you need to tell these white folks what they need to hear. The crazy part about that was Antron knew he didn't do nothing wrong. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So you my dad and you going to have you going to tell me to lie and be okay with that? No, that's bullshit. That's bullshit for real. And he stood his ground until his dad literally was about to, uh, you know, scold him for not being okay with lying. Now, I'm going to get into the relationship of Antron and his dad in a minute, but I'm going to get back to Corey. Now, again, Corey got left behind just being there for Yusuf. They pull him in the room. They trying to get him to confess this, that, and the third. And so they scared him so shitless that he literally had to make a video and you can see him in the video kind of trying to explain what it is that this white dude want him to say and how he want him to say it and how he want him to break down the events of the alleged rape from them, you know, on their part. So it's just, it was crazy. Cause none of them knew what the hell to do, but they were literally fabricating a story. The NYPD would literally fabricate a story to the point where they literally, if you keep repeating something psychologically, if you keep repeating something to somebody over and over and over and over again, they either going to find a way to either believe it or just go along with it because the majority of the room is moving in that direction. And that's what these young boys went through. Each, they didn't even know each other at first. That was the other crazy part during doing this during episode one. They didn't even know each other. You know, they asked him, well, yeah, Antron said you did it. He's like, who is that? Who, who is Raymond? Like, who, who are you talking about? Knew nothing. The only time they started meeting each other and really getting each other, understanding who each other was, was when they met up again because they saw each other at the park. But when they met up again at the holding cell that's when they started confessing like man i lied on you i didn't even mean to and that broke that 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 broke because it's like man like i have no idea what we doing here but we here is there a reason they doing us like this is there a reason they got they got us in here like this and you know you heard in the clip at the beginning of the show like how what other way do they do us you know what i'm saying that the justice system for black men is a horror movie. It's like going to see something that Jordan Peele made. And that that's that was hurtful, man. That, that, that was truly hurtful. So that's kind of how the part the bar got set. Episode two um, went into more of the pretrial. And, you know, because by this time, the boys done, you know, got all these coerced confessions and all of that so they ended up literally getting arraigned and getting locked up in jail and the pretrial comes up at a certain period of time and in this the episode two went into kind of how each one of the boys prepare for what it is that they was going through Antron's dad wasn't really even around 
he had to live with the fact that he told his son to lie to the police and go with the story knowing damn well he didn't do none of that and because Antron's dad took that step in that approach he knew he was wrong and he had to separate himself from the family because it's like I'm the reason my son is in jail because I told him to lie and I didn't do enough to protect my son because they was trying to pin his old scenarios and his old situations against him if he didn't do what they told him to do to make his son lie and so that is tough man that that is so tough like I couldn't fathom I couldn't fathom telling my son something that I helped create that you need to lie. What type of example are you setting as a father? Like I'm that's that's supposed to be I'm supposed to look up to you. Like you you're my hero. Like I go to you before I go to any other human being on this earth. You know, you my dad, like you the first example I have as of, of a man more than anything else. And you telling me to lie. So their relationship was very rocky because he wasn't around. I don't know if it was drug related. They really didn't show too much that. And I don't know if I missed something. I didn't really get that sense, but he was just he just maybe fell in the liquor. I don't, I'm not sure really what he did, but he just wasn't physically present for them during that time and so you saw how each one of them prepared you saw how everything went and also during this time this is when donald trump cheeto face as sorry um this is when he was really boisterous in the whole matter too and he was pushing for these boys to get the death penalty and this was you know early 90s and all of that so he was really like, yo, we need to lock them up. And you can go find articles and different uh, videos on what it is that he was saying and doing. But this is during the time where, you know, he was, you know, making whatever moves he was trying to make. And he spent eighty five thousand dollars on an ad to take out on why these boys should get the death penalty because he just swerping down the media. The way they portrayed the story in the media, these boys did it. They guilty. They, you know, destroyed this white woman. They need to be locked up whole nine yards. The way that they portrayed in the media, you either was on this side or you was on that side. The black community was definitely, you know, on the boy's side and, you know, knew it was injustice, knew it wasn't no DNA, knew it wasn't nothing around. But the narrative was out of their control because the way that it was painted over a period of time prior to the pretrial. And so to the world, them boys did it. So each one of them had a different way that they had to prepare for it. And Donald Trump is pushing the narrative, trying to get these boys to get, you know, get fried for what it is that they allegedly did. Spent $85,000 on the ad to push that narrative. And so each one of them had to, you know, defend their name in the world's eyes, but yet maintain their innocence as a teenager. And I... I can only imagine because during the 90s, you know, being a teenager in the 90s, 
and being a teenager now is two totally different things. So you didn't have the Twitters and the Facebooks in the late 90s and stuff like that. You didn't have that. And so passing, you know, a word along about, you know, what you heard and all of that, the story's going to get misconstrued a thousand ways. You don't have a cell phone to go on and look at and scroll up on your Twitter feed to see what took place. All you have is this word that this person is telling you. So I can only imagine how the conversations went in your, excuse me, in your local barbershops and, you know, your hair salons on on the subway or in the restaurant, getting the food or how the newspaper is displaying. And I can only imagine how all of this is going because the way that is being perceived, these boys did it. In spite of it being no facts, these boys did it. So three of them had a trial together and two of them had a trial separately. So everybody had their own lawyer. Nobody had a really high profile lawyer. I think the one who had the out of all the lawyers that were available. I want to say it was Antron's lawyer. Mickey Joseph was his name. And Mickey was fresh out of law school or the, I want to say it's like the legal aid society or one of those two. So I think that's what it was called, but he was the one that was the vocal. He was the one that was the most on point when it came to, you know, defending the boys and stuff like that. So everybody had their own lawyer. Yusuf had his own lawyer and they all had their own lawyer. Robert Burns was Yusuf's lawyer. Mickey Joseph was Antron's lawyer. Colin Moore was Corey's lawyer. Peter Rivera was Raymond's lawyer and Howard Dillard was Kevin's lawyer. No real years or amount of ex- experience was available. Um, even one of them was a, was a, um, a divorce lawyer. He wasn't really a prosecutor, he was a divorce lawyer. That's a totally different realm of lawyerism, if that's even a word. Probably not, but you get it. Um, so he wasn't even really prepared, but they had to go with what they had. You know, the community helped out the best way that they could. And so it could have went either way. It could have been a great opportunity for them to make a case and make a name for themselves in a high profile case like this. Or they could take the loss, but they chose to do it. So everybody was on board. The mothers really didn't see eye to eye on everything. But they knew this is the best thing that they had to do to, you know, get the case attempted to be solved and get these boys out of jail. And the other crazy part about the pretrial was the fact of how they chose the judge for the case. Now, the name of the judge is actually Thomas B. Galligan. Now, he's no longer living. I ain't gonna say rest his soul because he's wrong for what he did, too. But yeah, Thomas B. Galligan was the name of the judge uh, who took this case. Now, he was known for sending minorities up to Rikers Island, no matter what the circumstance was. He was known for throwing the book at them. Usually, from what I was told and the research I did, in a case like that, judges have to spin a wheel like a lottery almost to see who picks a case that was chosen it was done at random this particular case was given directly to Gallagher it wasn't no picking it wasn't no spinning of wheels it was none of that none of that they gave it directly to him so the legal system literally 
from top from top to bottom was prepared to throw the book at these boys, knowing they didn't have the facts together or the case. Again, horror movie. The fuck I'm supposed to be able to live in a society this this calculated. Anyway. Thomas B. Galligan actually died July 30th, 2015. He died at 90 years old. Um, he was one of the ones who really just didn't have no love for right and wrong. He was just all about, you know, giving out sentences, this, that, and the third. Um, crazy man like I'm, I'm i'm picturing this whole scenario in my head again and I, i'm probably going to end up watching the series again but it was just crazy anyway he died july 3rd 2015 no longer living um linda farstein i mentioned her name earlier she was a prosecutor but they had a separate lawyer for the case itself which is curious because, uh, you know, you put doing all this energy, throwing all this energy directly into trying to get the um, case on the books. But you know where to be found when it comes time to, you know, go see the trial. Linda never touched the trial. They never showed her in the courtroom, never did none of that. But she was the one in, in the background putting it together um, during the trial. The victim herself actually took the stand. The crazy part about it was she had no recollection of the incident at all. None whatsoever. So granted, she didn't remember who or what or how or whatever the case may be. She also couldn't recall if it was or was not them. And so in the jury's eyes, it had to be them because she herself don't remember really what happened. So how could it not be them? Another thing that was used during this particular thing was the Bruton rule. And this was used during the confession of Corey Wise. Now, I did my research to see what that was all about. The Bruton rule, and this is a learning moment for everybody out there. The Bruton rule was actually from a case that was... Excuse me. That was uh, actually back in 1968. Basically, it was a case that um, basically held that a defendant's confrontation clause rights are violated when a non-testifying co-defendant's confession naming a defendant as a participant in the crime is introduced at their joint trial. Even if the jury is instructed to consider the confession only against the defendant. So this particular approach was used um, in the Corey Wise confession because essentially in a nutshell, he admitted he's talked about everybody else in the case. He didn't directly put himself in there, but he talked about every other factor around him. And so they used that as a way to try to make his story stick. So Antron, Raymond, and Yusuf had the trial together, which they were later convicted. And then Corey and so I said Yusuf, Antron, and Raymond had of course a case together, 
Kevin and Corey had their case together or their trial together, excuse me. And they end up getting convicted. So I think the most dramatic part of the whole experience of this movie or excuse me, this docuseries was the verdict. And when they read the verdict, now, when you was watching the movie, you saw like you hear the music playing in the background and music and emotion is another way to help produce really high quality content. Whether you're watching a movie or listening to a podcast, to me, music sets the tone. And one thing you noticed was the songs that they were choosing and the images that they were using in the whole entire movie and how it really painted this picture really brought you in because it was either with music where it was no words and just melodies or it was words and melodies from a song that matched the mood of the movie at that particular time. And I think that's what kind of, I think that's what, what got to me. Because I felt my emotions shifting as they're reading this verdict. Guilty, 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 guilty. That's all you hear. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And everybody's crying. And, you know, the, the, the trial was so up and down. Like, you know, they knew it wasn't no DNA evidence. And it was moments in the case where you heard it like this might work. You know what I mean? But yet and still, nothing really went according to plan. And when they put Corey on, on the stand... That was the scene that was probably even one of the most compelling scenes in the entire movie. Corey couldn't read. Corey had dyslexia. And one of the things that the prosecutor did was ask him to read uh, a, a statement or, you know, a written confession out loud so they can hear that even though he just said what he said to go home, he signed his name and admitted to the crime. But he couldn't read it. So if I can't read or write these words, how are you able to construe some story up about me and say that I did this, that or the third if I can't read? And she pushed him and she pushed him and he pushed him to the point where he was like, I don't want to answer your questions no more. And the jury became in this uproar and, you know, the courtroom is crazy and everybody's knocking bang, 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 you know, gavels going and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you just you just see the emotion. Like you would drew in from the emotion of the entire experience and you like you really want this to work out for him. But they all get convicted. They all go to jail. Four of them went to juvie. Corey had to go to jail with the grownups. Corey had to go to jail in Rikers Island. Corey was transferred three times between the late 90s and the early early 2001. Corey was in jail the longest out of all of them. Kevin, Antron, Yusuf, and Raymond all got out and was able to try to at least reintroduce themselves back to society, but naturally finding a job and trying to, you know, figure out where to go and all of that. They ain't gonna work out. You know, everybody sees you. You got to go, you know, because now you're quote unquote registered sex offender. So now you got to go down to this, you know, to this office and sign in. You got house arrests and life has changed. So you don't know how everything is going to go now. You're trying to just get back to remembering what it was. You done missed out on all your, your, your teenage years. You've been locked up for some you didn't do. And now you out and just you just both just find a way to make it work out. But Corey never made it out. Well, he made it out, but Corey was in jail the longest. They beat that man. 
probably raped him. I don't think they raped him. I could be wrong on that. But in the movie, you definitely saw how, you know, he went through his ordeal with him, you know, being so young, not really being locked, you know, being locked up and not really having the psychological skills to accept what it is that he's seeing and trying to make the most of it. You even saw one of the the, the guards like, let me know what you could do for me. And you're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And based off him not knowing what he's talking about, you know, he didn't got stabbed. He didn't got beat up. You know what I mean? They done jumped him to the point where he had to spend majority of his time in jail and solitary confinement. Imagine being in a box with just one window. You can't see what's out the window and you just stuck in this box and you locked up and you you just trapped and you can't go out there because if you go out there, they're going to kill you. So you spend all your time in solitary confinement? That'll break any man. Any man would get broken by that. I don't care how strong you is. I don't give a damn how tough you think you may be. You literally have to spend 23 hours locked down. And the only time you getting out is to go to a parole hearing to admit to a crime you didn't commit. Like, are you serious right now? We can't be mad at people for not knowing about this. I'm glad this movie came out. I am glad we need to know these facts. We live in this justice system in this society. That shit is literally scary. You could be the most legit person in the world as a black man or a black woman or a black young boy or a black young girl. And no, you're not doing nothing wrong. But just based off how you look, they gonna judge you. You looking over your shoulder, no, you ain't did shit. But you gotta stay looking over your shoulder. Times that by two. And you not being able to leave and you being stuck in a box for 23 hours of your day, barely eating scraps. You hallucinating, going crazy. The AC not working. You all in there ass naked. Ain't no, ain't no air coming out. You crying, screaming, praying for a change. That's what Corey Wise went through. And keep in mind, the only reason he went was to be there for a friend. But if you used to ask Corey Wise today, does he regret that decision? He'll tell you no. He will definitely tell you no. I watched a video of him the other day and one of the cast was asking him about that and uh, asking if he regretted his decision on being there for his friend. He said, no, I don't regret my decision. That was my friend. That's the kind of loyalty that's hard to come across. So if you had it in your life, make sure you maintain that. So all in all, everybody gets out. Everybody gets exonerated. Um, The dude who actually committed the crime um, saw that Corey was still locked up and felt bad. And the third time he transferred was where he met the dude who actually committed the crime. And here's how they even met. Crazy how they met. Corey was actually starting to get, you know, some responsibility. And he had the responsibility of mopping floors and cleaning up the room where, you know, the, the inmates would meet with their families and stuff like that. 
it's a dude in there and the dude's trying to watch a DMX video and Corey wanted to hear the song, but he didn't want the TV loud. So, you know, dude, like, you know, Corey, like, turn the TV up. Dude, like, no, I'm, you know, I'm good. So Corey goes in there and turn the TV up anyway. Dude get mad. They get into it. That same dude he get into it with during that time, had they had no idea who he really was. The dude's name was Mateus Reyes. Mateus Reyes. So, on the very last time he got transferred, you know, he met him, saw him again later on in life, you know, after, you know, a bunch of years of being locked up. Um, Mateus saw Corey again and saw he was still locked up. He knew everybody else had got out. He knew that. And I think he felt a sense of guilt for being you know, doing what he did and knowing he had nothing to do with it, he he felt guilty. And so basically the dude who actually committed the crime confessed that he committed the crime. The lawyers reopened the case, looked up the facts, got his uh, statement, did everything that they did to the, to the young boys, to Corey and all of them. They did the same. He did the same thing. Ran the DNA evidence. The DNA evidence matched. Come to find out. Corey's a free man. The Central Park Five are all exonerated. They were paid almost $45 million in the settlement, which is the largest settlement in New York State during that time frame for a case of that magnitude. Um, They're still living. Everybody's still doing different things. Uh, Yusuf got like 10 kids. So, you know, everybody's living either living in Georgia or uh, I think Corey's the only one that still lives in New York. But everybody else moved to either Georgia or a different part of the U.S. Uh, but yeah, they're now getting the shine and the love that they should have been getting the whole time. So that's pretty much the breakdown of what I've seen. Um, I'm probably going to watch it again. And the only reason why I probably watched it again is because I want to make sure I don't miss an important key factor. And I probably left out details about what it is that I've seen. And that's okay. We could always talk about it if you want to. Um, but the entire approach and understanding of this film or this docuseries was something to me that was very, very well put together. The title, When They See Us. That title right there, powerful. Because you think, what do white people or people who don't look like me see when they see me do you see do you see an animal do you see a thug if i listen to rap music am i considered a thug if i wear tattoos and talk a certain way or you know carry you know myself with a certain swag am i am i considered less of a person am i considered a threat because of how i talk or how I move, or my dominance in this world, like, black people in general experience trauma in different ways, but um, I have to say, as a black man, like, it's tough, man. It's, 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 it's just tough. And I think it's very necessary for us as men to hold each other up, Show each other love, provide opportunities when we can, because what this film showed us 
is literally, in fact, when they see us, here's truly what they see. Here's really what they think about you. There's people out there, even though they know them boys didn't do nothing, that are content and happy with the fact that they got locked up for something they didn't do. Meanwhile, we never mind, because I was about to go in on y'all on y'all president, but I'm gonna leave that alone. But there are literally people out there who still believe to this day that they got what they 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 did it, no matter what happened. Those five black men, or excuse me, those four black men and that one Hispanic guy, they raped that lady. In spite of, and I think that part is one of the most hurtful parts. Linda Fairstein. She lost all her book deals. They probably going to think about reopening the case. The judge who prosecuted them died. You know, when they were telling where them cops was at, that was beating them in chorus of stories for them. You know what I'm saying? So it's everybody got what they deserve in some fashion or form. Everybody did. And I think this is a necessary film to watch with young black men, young black women, your family, whoever. Talk about what you see. Watch this film. Provide understanding. This is a learning experience for everybody. And I don't think it's necessary for nobody to come up in arms about just now learning about this process or just now learning about what took place. It's okay. But at the end of the day, it's really all about knowledge and understanding and figuring out what happened. That's really what it's about. You know, holding your brother up. Because at some point, they may not be able to get held up again. So, yeah. So, that's pretty much my take on everything. I've been talking to y'all for a whole hour. I know y'all probably tired of me talking. But I appreciate you listening to the episode. Um, Definitely more to come. Like I said, I'm back. Feel good to be back. And I'm definitely going to make sure I uh, do my thing. I got a track of the week for y'all. I need to figure out what that's going to be. I've been listening to a lot. This Jim Jones album was definitely tough. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to it. I got to give him credit, though, because, you know, if after all this time, he's still making good music. But, yeah. So my track of the week. I might need a second to think about it. I'm going to take a second to think about it. I'm going to come right back and I'm going to let y'all know what my track of the week going to be. I need a moment. One sec. Or maybe not. Let's see. Let's try that again. All right. I just had to take a second to figure out what I want my track of the week to be. And because I have that figured out, I am back to share that. Now, track of the week this week is actually going to come from the homie Jim Jones. I, I think I am going to roll with this album because he did a very, a very complete, complete job with this album he released. If you haven't heard it, it's called El Cap. El, the album is called ah, El Capo. Go check that out. I think it's a very, very dope album. My track of the week is called uh, The Good Die Young. If you heard the album, you heard the intro to uh, the song basically talking about Nipsey and everything that happened with Nip. Uh, we ain't forgot. Definitely rest in power to Naomi Nip. That's something we'll never forget. But um, if you heard the album, you heard how it transitioned from into the track. Uh, from the clip of what everything that took place during that time into the song itself. So I chose this one. I think it just kind of just matches how I was feeling, uh, you know, from the past. So definitely check this out. Track of the week is called Good Die Young. It's from the homie Jim Jones off the El Capo album. Let's go and get into this track, man. Let's go. (laughs) 
If it was 02, we was trying to get the 03. My first 10 grams, I was trying to get an OZ. All the good die young. Alright, alright, alright. So yeah, that was Jim Jones uh off the El Capo album. It's called The Good Die Young. Um very, very, very solid album. Very solid album. I think it is something that you guys would um, enjoy. So if you like that kind of flow or that kind of um, boom bap, <laughs> um, yeah, check that out. Um, I'm not going to keep you any longer. It's just been me. I do hope you got something from this episode. I really want us to stay informed, get into the groove of figuring out what's next for us. Let's learn this justice system. We don't have to be lawyers in order to know our rights and know how stuff go. There are books out there. There's resources out there. I would love to do any type of research project with anybody. We can use the same table to record and to have positive shows and podcasts. We can use that to figure out how to make stuff better when it comes to learning this knowledge about how to simply survive. We can help lift each other up. We can help get each other to that next point. But it's going to take us to do that. But we can't spend time and energy and, and, and just all type of approaches knocking each other down for not knowing. Not knowing is one thing. But being ignorant and blind to the fact is another. And that's not the case for a lot of us. We have the ability to do it. Just as quick as we can call our homeboys and our homegirls to go kick it and hit a prospect and address on Sunday fun days, we can call each other up to make sure we know how to operate when we get pulled over. At the end of the day, we all just want to get home. That being said, I love you. I want nothing but the greatest things to happen in your life because that's what I'm working on over here, too. This has been episode 76 of these sidebars where the best conversations happen on the side. I'll talk to you all in a minute. All right. Love. Peace. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.